Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to our podcast, our conversation slash debate this afternoon. We'll feature two of our favorite panelists. We are welcoming Kalev Bendor. Da diversation con bait. I don't know. That's great. Yes. Uh, well, I, when the moment you said conversation, Mike's face just completely <laughs> fell. He's all about debate. But so, hi, hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kalev. And we are also joined, of course, by Mike Unterberg. Good afternoon, Mike. How's it going? I cannot come up with the uh, portmanteau for a conversation debate. So this is, we will take uh, listener suggestions if anybody wants to send in a mm -hmm. suggestion for us. So um, I didn't introduce myself even, which was remiss of me. I'm Matthew Lippmann. I'm moderating the afternoon's conversation slash debate. And the conversation slash debate we are having today is about the role of the diaspora in Israeli politics and Israeli discourse. There's been a lot happening in the news in Israel recently, both in terms of legislation relating to settlements and legislation relating to other, what some people may say are internal issues, others would say that they're issues that affect Jews living outside of Israel. Recently, with the judicial reform slash overhaul slash changes, whatever you want to call them, the head of the reform movement in the United States, Rabbi Rick Jacobs, came to speak at one of the large demonstrations. And Rabbi Jacobs said something basically along the lines of, Israel can't call on the support of the diaspora when they need us and then tell us to shut up when they don't need us or when we want to voice our opinions about things that are happening inside Israel. So that's an interesting framing of that conversation about how far should the role of the diaspora go when it comes to Israeli issues. And we are going to start with... Oh, with me? We're going to start with Mike, oh. um, who is going to give his perspective that indeed the diaspora does have a role to play when it comes to Israel issues. All right. I, I got confused. I thought I was going... Okay. You explicitly uh, asked to be first. <laughs> explicitly. You know, I, I, I would say this. I disagree with that formulation. I don't think that when Israel calls on us, we're supposed to come for it, but that, that means... I, I don't understand what that means. If you think, as a Jewish person, that Israel isn't something that you should support, then don't support it. If you think it's not in your interest, that Israel isn't in your interest. In other words, I disagree with that formulation of Israel is something separate from me. Oh, you want me to help? We're allies. You want me to help you when you call on me, but you don't want me to, but now as an ally, when I offer my opinion, you don't want it. I don't like that formulation because it creates a division between diaspora Jews and Israel. And I would argue, as Kalev was saying before we started taping, the state of Israel has kind of a dual identity. Israel has a role as the nation state of the Jewish people overall. It also has a role of a state with citizens in it. It has to represent those citizens and take care of their needs. Now, focusing on the aspect of it belongs to Jews overall, that is not only a, an idea that defines the concept of the Jewish state as declared in the Declaration of Independence, which calls for all Jews to work together for its benefit and to use it to help achieve the redemption of the age-old dream of redeeming the Jewish people and the ingathering of all exiles. It's also enshrined as a basic law that every single Jew around the world, as a descendant of the destroyed state of Judea, has the right to claim full citizenship. And so every Jew around the world is a citizen in potential. 
That's not just, just, you get what I'm saying? It's not just that the state thinks of itself that way. It legally is in the structure of the state that every Jew around the world, including now, if that person says, well, if they call to ask my, for my help and, you know, and then they don't want my opinion, well, don't help if you don't want to help. I don't think Israel's calling for your help. I think Israel stands on its own. If you want to help because you see yourself as a citizen in potential, then help. If you see yourself as an ally, then I guess you can also help, but then you feel like it's transactional. I don't think it is. I think it's... I. As a Zionist, I think it should be a sense of identity. This is my homeland. This is my state. It's not transactional. And so, of course, their opinion is very, very important. And it's it's crucial to the life and identity of the state. Now, there are obviously limits without citizenship. I remember there were a lot of diaspora Jews complaining during the pandemic Oh, I thought Israel was a safe shelter and their COVID rates are much lower than where I live. Why won't Israel take me in? Well, it will if you're a citizen. So make Aliyah. Well, I don't want to make Aliyah. Okay. So I, I understand there's limits. But I overall, I would be terrified of diaspora Jews not forming deeply framed opinions about what's going on in Israel, even domestic politics and expressing them actively. Now, the Israeli voters can listen to them or not listen to them. But not only should they not shut up, they should they should be protesting and they should have megaphones and they should say. And then it's up to the citizens of Israel to decide what they want to do with it or not. But specifically because they don't live here, they may very often have perspectives and insights because they look at it differently that are very worth to listen to. I think it would be a tremendous error. And I think it's an ad hominem dismissal. Well, if you don't live here, I can't tell you how many times before I made Aliyah, people said to me, well, your political opinions will change once you live here. What an obnoxious ad hominem dismissal of my I think. You don't have to agree with me, but I have a thought-out position. By the way, historically, it's not true. I haven't changed much of my politics. I have a thought-through position. I, I may have a different perspective than you, and I may have insight, and the conversation may be enriched by my coming from the United States. Don't dismiss that as irrelevant. That's that's a boon. That's a that's a real gift. The ingathering of the exiles as an idea means that we do come with a lot of baggage that makes life complicated, but that should not be seen as bad. Now, again, within limits, you know, if you live in, you know, the eastern seaboard of the United States, you're not worried about missiles from Gaza landing on your home. So I do think there's a level of respect and humility when expressing that opinion that is incumbent on a diaspora Jew. You know, as a non-citizen who doesn't live there, I would like to say the following. Great. Then that's it. No holds barred. Then say whatever it is you think. Israelis can listen to it or not. But that's, I think, more than reasonable. I think I think it's dangerous. I wish there was something they could vote for in Israeli elections. Obviously, I don't think they can vote for the government because they're not citizens and they don't pay taxes, etc. But I wish there was something that I want them to feel more invested, more listened to, more heard, more involved. Okay. Thank you, Mike, for presenting your perspective. We will come back to some of the points that you raised just now. We'll, I'll ask you questions about that. I believe you. Good. Okay. I normally tell the truth. So that will be after we've heard from Kalevan offering a different perspective. Well, Mike's story about before he made Aliyah, I think a lot of us share 
stories like that. And, mm -hmm. and really what, it, what at its core I think it is, is you don't think like me. Mm -hmm. I'm obviously right. Mm -hmm. So it must be that you, you're not knowledgeable enough when you are, you, you don't have, have, the you have you experience yeah, you enough. Don't have the experience. And, and, and it, it reminds me of a story I had with actually a particularly aggressive friend who we would, would often argue. And, and, and the first response would be, well, you know, you haven't made Aliyah. And if the person had made Aliyah, it would be, well, you haven't served in the army. Mm. And if, if the response was, well, actually, I have served in the army, mm. then the next thing was like, well, you just must be an idiot then. <laughs> you know, because it, it, I think often this debate of to what extent diaspora Jews should be involved will often come back to our subjective mm -hmm. feelings on issues that I feel strongly about. The, the diaspora Jew who feels like me, yes, I absolutely want to enhance their voice. And when it's something that they disagree with me on, people often say, oh, no, on, on that, you, you, don't, you don't have a right. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, we need, to, we need to admit our kind of internal biases, but in some ways we're looking for some sort of principle. I'm not sure if we'll be able to find the principle, but that's in some ways what we should be looking for. And and I also think it's worth going back to some of the 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 origins of Zionism, because Zionism was built around uh, in Hebrew shlilat galut, mm -hmm. negating the diaspora, and it was built on this idea that 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 being in the diaspora has has made us weak. It's made us victims, and and we need it's it's taken away our historic agency, and we need to create new. Hebrews, mm -hmm. new Jews who are going to be strong and active and all of these things. And so negating the diaspora was an integral part of that. And I think there was often this feeling that the diaspora ultimately is going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Everyone is going to come to Israel and... and or assimilate. Or assimilate, Or be exactly. killed in yes. anti-Semitic, yeah. Yes, exactly. And so I think for the first few decades of the state, that was... The model, the negation of the diaspora was the model. And I think in 2023, we need to, to adapt that to realize that we have two main centers of Jewish life, one in Israel and one in America. To what extent that's similar to uh, Jerusalem and, and, and Babylon back in the time of the Gemara is, 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 I guess, is an open question. And we need to try and work out within that new prism where no one's going to disappear. There's kind of two good fulfilling lives that can be led both in Israel and in the, in the diaspora, what our relationship should be in the sense of kind of, kind of a healthy relationship. And when Mike was speaking, I was thinking about family members. Mm -hmm. At what stage do... So I, I certainly would not say diaspora Jews are like a parent, but perhaps they're like a sibling. So at what stage do you... Uh, encourage your siblings to comment on your life, and what said you basically tell them just to uh, basically be be completely quiet. I'm going to argue that diaspora Jews, of course, obviously it's 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 an argument for the sake of this podcast rather than anything else. Of course, people can have people can have whatever opinions they want. We're not going to shut anyone up, but we have to realize that only when you live here. And when you uh, have the consequences of actions, that you know opinion has a much weightier amount than someone who's on the eastern seaboard of of the U.S. And Mike also touched on that in terms of rockets. But in some stage, it's it, it's it's anything. Mm -hmm. um, I think most recently, or, or most controversially, often it's about uh, opinions on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So whether mm -hmm. those are more hawkish or or more dovish. But ultimately, and and I take your point about 
maybe people have different perspectives kind of being further away gives you a, a, a it gives you a different and perhaps even wiser perspective but at a certain stage we need to draw a line and say there are citizens in the state they're the ones who are sending their children to the army they're the ones who are paying taxes they're the ones who are living with the consequences of the decisions that are taken and therefore when push comes to shove diaspora Jews need to realize that of course you can have an opinion but we're the ones who are making the decisions and we're the ones who are running the country. And, you know, it, it, it kind of sounds a bit harsh, but like, if you don't like it, come and make Aliyah and, mm. and vote and, and, you know, help change it from there. So I think Zionism needs to evolve from its negation of the diaspora. I think we need to create a healthier model and relationship between Israel and the rest of the Jewish people. But Within that, we need to realize that there is there is there is a distinction between the people who actually live here and the people who don't, however well-meaning they may be. Yes, yeah, so it's funny because that formulation sounds not so different from mine, except that I, I disagree with your basis fundamentally. In other words, I am an old school Zionist who believes that the way to and gather as many exiles as possible is to enfranchise them and make them feel as included as possible. So it's funny and you should I don't say believe that, in the Mike. success of the future of the diaspora community. So it's funny you well, should say that. That would actually be a great topic for a podcast. Mm. <laughs> so it's funny you should yeah, say that because the question that I had wrote, written down here for myself to talk to you about was when you mentioned the idea of you'd like the diaspora to have some sort of like voting role. My question would be, in, in what sort of framework? Like, should they get to vote for maybe the diaspora affairs minister? Should they get to vote on certain um, Jewish cultural decisions or even like nuts and bolts things, like a finance minister or, or a political party? Where would you see that role of a diaspora uh, I think vote I, going? I, I, look, I, it's not a well thought out. I don't have a, a, a platform here of here are my five policies, but it, it could be something. I think it should be symbolic things. I, I, by the way, I would love for diaspora Jews to have a a portion of voting for president. In other words, we as citizens don't vote for president. The Knesset votes for president. We vote for Knesset. I, I, I wouldn't mind having more of a say in who our president is. I think it would be more meaningful. But I think world Jewry should have a vote. The president of Israel is supposed to be the president of world Jewry, and it really isn't seen that way. Our current president, Isaac Herzog, is trying to He's a little bit distracted with current crises, but but part of his position as president is trying to increase that perception, uh, allowing diaspora Jews a vote. So I, 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 don't, I don't have a particular set of things to vote for, but something like that, that makes it feel like it's theirs. That if, it, if Israel's telling them, this is your homeland, you may not live here, you may not be a citizen here, but legit, this is your homeland. And I, I certainly agree with Kalev that there are lines that you cannot vote for Knesset if you're not a citizen. You just can't. But... I want to get it. I want to see how close we can get to that line. So, all right. So that was kind of my question: where that line should be. Well, as an Israeli citizen, I don't vote for finance minister. I just right. vote for a party. I mean, our elections Correct. are so simple that there really isn't a lot of room to play with to encourage them with that. But it could be. I, I don't. We can brainstorm things later. But right. it's symbolic identity, uh, symbols of the state, sort of things. And it, right, because that's also interesting. Because of course, then if you have ownership over something then mm -hmm. you feel more connected to of it. Of course. And that's kind of that Zionism mm -hmm. gathering people more into connection. Okay, great. Thank you. We're going to come back, I think, to something else that you said in a minute, but just to address a question to Kalev. I don't think you intended to be binary in diaspora and Israel, but it sounded quite binary in the sense that obviously diaspora is not monolithic. You have your Jews living on the eastern seaboard. You have your Jews living in 
South America, you have your Jews living in Europe, and they obviously experience their diaspora very differently from each other, culturally, and the relationship they have with their local governments. And how would you build that as a as a model of that sibling relationship you were talking about? If everybody's got such different interests and such different concerns as a diaspora sibling. If I can add, Matthew, there's an Israeli diaspora as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a, a good couple of hundred thousand of Israelis who, who that's just in LA <laughs> and they also don't vote unless they're physically here mm -hmm. and, and, and some of them fly in especially from some do you know, and my brother-in-law does from London mm -hmm. he says the plane is packed every time and then there's always this question it also divides along right or left of you know who, who's it who's who's going to gain from it if mm -hmm. we allow mm -hmm. Israelis or even diaspora, if we allow them to vote, will they be more right-wing or will they mm. be more left-wing? And, and again, based on whether we think it will advance our own interests, right. we then we then have an opinion. It, it's a good question, and, and and I wonder whether the I wonder whether the model is lots of different diaspora communities, and then Israel, a little bit like again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, a little bit like kind of the sun and planets orbiting it and there's some large ones and there's some smaller ones or actually we are we are all of a similar level we're all representative of the jewish people and we're a representative of the jewish people in israel a mosaic uh, of cultures a a melting pot mm. uh, those are two you, very different models right mm -hmm. the, the solar system around the sun if we consider yes, israel as the, the sun israel is israel as a center and everyone looking towards israel uh i mean i guess you know mike and, and this probably is a topic for, for another podcast. But then the question is, you know, there's an argument, Israel Israel is the center of the Jewish world. So yeah. you might think it's New York and you might want to think it's LA or you might, you know, say, well, London and Paris and Berlin and Warsaw, you know, and, and Moscow, we, we've had, you know, Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the classic Zionist argument would be, ultimately, the center of the Jewish world is in our Jewish ancestral homeland, mm -hmm. and therefore you all need to realize that this is real. You know, to, to mix metaphors, we're the North Star. How exactly do all of these things work? I, you know, I, I think that, that that Israel and different communities in the diaspora need to sit down, and I think the the original model, which was, you give us money because we're poor, but when the Cossacks come to kill you. You can flee to us and we'll let you in, uh, I think is is relatively outdated. I think we, we, you know, people need to sit down responsibly and work out what should the relationship be. But I also think, also for the purposes of this debate, there needs to be a very clear line of, I just, I'll just say, I, I actually also don't think this metaphor works either. But one of the leaders of the reform movement in America, Eugene Borowitz, said that halacha should have a vote. Jewish law. Jewish law, yes, uh, should have a vote, not a veto, over a Jew's autonomous decision. Now, so I, I think about that a, a lot. Obviously, Jews of diaspora don't have a veto. They also don't have a vote, mm -hmm. but they should probably have something, some sort of say in our national uh, debate about where we want to go as a people. But I think we need to draw quite a, a strong line and say, if you want to influence anything more than rhetorically, then that, that's just for citizens. Okay, so I'd like to come back to something we discussed off air for for a minute. Is this idea of what kind of 
symbols because Mike, you're talking about the present. I thought like teachers that don't exist outside the classroom. As podcasters, we don't exist when the <laughs> mic's not recording. We sleep in the studio. Yeah, no, okay. I thought. This idea of, and we were discussing which sort of issues, I don't know if you want to call them policies or symbols, maybe there, there's an interplay between them. For example, um, we were talking about the cartel, talked about the um, the law of return, and whether the diaspora should have a role in sort of not dictating policy, but a role in formulating a role. Do they have ownership of that? Should they have ownership of that? I'd be interested to hear what you both think about those specific issues and then and see where we go with that. So I'm just thinking about another debate that we have had, which is about, I mean, you, you can't get away from it. It's about the judicial plans, reforms, coup, whatever we want to call them. And how one of the, and I will, I will get back to your question, Matthew, I promise, one of the challenges in, in Israel, <laughs> probably <laughs> after a long rant, one of the challenges we have is in terms of checks and balances. We have a unicameral system. We just have the Knesset. We just have the Knesset and the government and and the and the Supreme Court. We don't have a president with powers. Uh, we don't have you know in in England we we have the House of Lords. We don't have any regional things. But that kind of bicameral system that 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 potential House of Lords for an English audience, or I guess you could maybe say, you know, Senate, etc., is an interesting model of trying to... Because when we say diaspora jury, what, what do we mean? We mean just kind of millions of Jews everywhere. I mean, they're, they're individuals. An enormous American community, which is the closest in size to Israel, but isn't as big as Israel. And then we mean a lot of small communities that are in the hundreds of thousands. In other words, the American community, Jew, diaspora communities in the millions. And then elsewhere, it's in the hundreds of thousands right, at most. It's also made up of lots of different, yeah. And as, was, as a Jews, just all, all, all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, you would have to think, well, how do you create representatives? And then how do those representatives speak to our representatives? But that that you could potentially have a model um, which would shift our unicameral system to bicameral, where you would have representatives of the Jewish people. How those would be chosen, I've got no idea. Uh, I guess you're kind of, you know, you're Eli, maybe you're Elie Wiesel type. I'm not even sure. Sounds like a Zionist Congress type It sounds a little bit like a Zionist Congress, potentially. But you, uh, but again, you would have to but draw... But a useful one. <laughs> you'd, have to draw, no you'd have to draw some sort of line between, again, what are the issues? I think, you know, we were talking about the Kotel. That that you know the the kotel doesn't just belong to the citizens of Israel. The kotel belongs to the entirety of the Jewish people. You could even argue the entirety of the Jewish people, also those who are yet to be born and and those who have passed from the world. There's probably other issues like that as well. I, I don't have a, I don't have a, a good answer to your question, but I do think by potentially expanding uh, representative bodies, you could then have a legitimate place on specific things for representatives of the Jewish world. Okay, thank you. Mike, you have thoughts on, on that? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I think that there's a, there's a temptation to be prescriptive as this is the way we should do it. And I often, I'm sort of, as an educator, just descriptive. In other words, we are having this enormous conversation, and there are power plays and interests, and it's working along as it should. I, I find it bizarre that it, 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 Israeli politicians are ignoring diaspora Jews on issues like setting up... I mean, they, they haven't ignored it. They've agreed in creating alternate prayer spaces at the Kotel, and now they're just not doing it. So I would argue the process as it is actually 
works. It's just that politicians aren't following up on their commitments and agreements. So, so to, to clarify, Mike, the, the Jewish the Jewish agency was originally involved in that. It was not Sharansky. Sharansky got the government to vote to allow it. Like but he really, Sharansky as a representative of the, of, Jewish, of agency. the Jewish agency. Okay, so you uh, could actually time. say there is a representative yeah, of right. Jewish peoplehood. Yeah, I don't have to invent. You know, I, I think we should rely on the systems to work better. But but fundamentally, in, in terms of your point earlier, you know, historically, is this like Jerusalem and Babylon in the era of the Talmud? I see history as a, you know, Zionist classic. I see history as kind of pendular. In other words, what we saw was there was a Jewish center and it was Judea. Judea was crushed by the Romans for a while, uh, mostly in the Galil, but, you, you know, that culture remained the center until it wasn't. There were two cultures, one in, and that eventually the one in Israel eroded. And so that Babylonia was the Jewish cultural center. And then over the course of diaspora, even that lost its centrality. And so we've divided and divided and divided and divided. And sort of like that moment in the uh, lava lamp where the little pieces break apart, but then eventually they meld back together. What we're watching now is the opposite, where we're rebuilding Jewish centerhood in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. And so as that process uh, moves along, I think the people who are who, who, if I, I as a Zionist see these people as they want to come to the center, then I want them to see it as theirs. I want them to have ownership. I want them to have passion. I want them to have uh, a, a say in its destiny. And how that works out, I think works out naturally in terms of what you're describing of, you know, what are the limits of how much, well, I, I think we all know intuitively the limits manifest in reality. If you're not here and you're not voting, there is a limit. I would like to increase it. But but for you, it's 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 one center, Mike. As in, I think you know we were talking about Judea and then Judea and Babylon. But then for hundreds and hundreds of years, yeah. there's actually a lot of small. There's there's dozens of small centers. Yeah, yeah. And if we go back to the beginning of of, of the 20th century, there were many many centers. And now yeah. we've basically got two large ones and a few and one smaller of them, ones. I don't think, I don't know how long the American Jewish community Right, so, but your has, argument is ultimately everyone the should pendulum be is swinging the back. one The, the one pendulum center. is swinging back. Maybe, you know, choose your metaphor. The solar system one is fine with me if you want to. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's where this is. Or if you want to use another metaphor, you know, we've gotten away on a lot of lifeboats they're, they're of limited use, and eventually they sink. And so we need to get as many people to shore as possible, as quickly as possible, to the safe shore. Uh, we now have uh, control of the safe shore, and it's time to encourage people to to come along. So the fact that they, have, they actually want to have a say in what happens on the safe home shore, that's perfectly reasonable to me. And if you're okay. in a lifeboat and there's lots of lava coming towards you and planets all around you you've got a big problem <laughs> wait but what's the floor made out of no, is the floor lava no but at least the north star will guide you to safety there we there go there we go we've so beaten the heck out of that all right how um, many metaphors can, uh, can all right do? thank you guys this was a very interesting and lively conversation i found it very revealing and interesting i hope our listeners did too Ooh, revealing in a positive way um thank you uh thank you kalev thank you very much who's still got his head in his hands <laughs> thank you mike <laughs> thank you and I will leave Mike to say goodbye to you all. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel and all of its diversity. 
We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.